Have you heard? 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 Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Have You Heard? I'm Aaron French. And I'm Jennifer Brookshire. And Jennifer, why don't you tell everybody what our topic of discussion is today? Today we're going to be talking about the college debt trap and how it hits students who start school with very little money particularly hard. And we were actually able to talk to three different students who are either currently on their college journey or have had had to end it due to the crippling debt they had to take on. That's right. And we're also going to hear from a researcher who's been digging deep into this topic and has really found that students who come to school without any money experience it in a way that's so different than their more affluent peers. And there's also something else very different about today's episode. That's a very nice transition, Aaron. What would that difference be? <laughs> I'm narrating today, uh, you know, debuting my narrator voice on episode six. I'm a little worried that people are going to think they've landed on the wrong channel. <laughs> That's quite possible, but, you know, what do you say? Should we head to campus? Let's go. So college has been for a long time considered the great equalizer. Uh, whatever you came from, whatever your economic circumstances were, as soon as you get on that college quad, the closing of that gap is supposed to begin magically. And historically, that did happen. That's Neil Swidey, a writer for Boston Globe magazine. And we'll hear from him a few more times in today's episode. But he's been studying the issue of student debt for quite some time. It's a topic that's gotten a bit of attention in an election year like 2016, but it's not at all unfamiliar to millions of students. My name is Stephanie Crawford. I am currently a Boston Public School teacher. I also am an enrichment coordinator at Aldo Chester Sports League and a farmer's market manager. Right now, I think I'm at 100000 when it comes down to the most basic of assumptions, the surest way out of poverty is through a college campus. Stephanie, then, should be one of the success stories. She didn't grow up with much, but she went to college, got her degree. She has a solid, well-paying, middle-class career. Even so, she didn't always see herself on a quad poring over English Composition 101. I was not interested in really picking a college and so I wasn't super interested in it because other things were shinier you know. Stephanie's path begins during her senior year of high school. After going to a college fair she finds out she has a few options but eventually ends up making the same choice that scores of other students do. Going with the school that offers her the most money. But the financial aid she was offered wasn't enough money and when her family couldn't make up the difference she had to take out loans, lots and lots of loans. So the interesting thing that I'm actually struggling with right now is that I didn't pay attention. And so I just kind of like when you get there, they tell you to go to the finance office and they give you all these things that you can sign and do and bring home to your parents to sign and do. And so I said, OK, yeah, I'll sign this. And I brought it home to my mom. OK, sign this. Suddenly, that middle class life doesn't look so attainable anymore. After rent, groceries, transportation, loan payments, and the other costs of just living, it's not surprising she lives paycheck to paycheck. 
Currently, Stephanie is doing all she can just to keep her car running. I make good money as a teacher now, but because I have so much loans when they look at it, um, whenever I try to get like a car or do things that where they have to look at my credit, they say, oh, well, you make money, but your debt to income ratio is so much high, so higher, like, you know. Let's be honest here for a second. What teenager knows the term loan to income ratio? My guess, very few, and Stephanie certainly wasn't one of them. And yet, the decisions she was forced to make as a teenager are having a lasting impact on her financial health as an adult. I was 17 years old going into college. Loan to me meant, okay, I get a loan. And then something happens later, but I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? It, it never really clicked until I graduated and they said, by the way, it's time to pay back your loans. I'm like, oh, I have to pay for this stuff. Now, staring at a six-figure debt, Stephanie is rethinking her decision. So I tell people all the time, I wish I just went to community college, paid whatever needed to be paid and got my degree because when I'm having my interviews and stuff like that, people are not like, oh, what school did you go to? Oh, that's awesome. We want you. You know what I mean? They never say that. You imagine students in the high school level, again, in this kind of culture of aspiration, they're told go to college, go get ahead to college. Then these 18-year-olds who we as a society don't allow to rent a car until they're 25 without incurring a crazy uh, surcharge are being asked to make these monumental decisions without a lot of good advice. What Neil has continually observed and what we heard in working on this episode for the podcast is that Stephanie's story is actually quite rare, at least in the fact that she finished college. That part where she's now burdened with huge school debt, that's not unusual at all. We all sort of accept this issue of college being this great equalizer and, and helping students with earning power and climb you know, some rungs on the economic ladder. Uh, but when you actually look at what's happening there, as I started to do in recent years, uh, you become, uh, I think, more... Uh, disenchanted with the reality of the situation. Josh Alba put off going to college for 10 years just because he was worried about debt. And now he's in the exact situation that Neil describes. He's two semesters short of a degree with no current plans to return, and he owes between ten dollars and $15,000. Yeah, so I was under the impression that it was really affordable, and to me, affordable is free. Uh, not, not even being silly. Josh learned quickly that going to school full-time meant taking time away from full-time work, that he needed loans not just for tuition, but to pay for the most basic stuff, gas, bus fare, books, living, groceries for him and his kids. Basic survival was what my priorities were, are still. Um, and I had to move back into my mother's um, basement uh, in order to just survive, and then I feel like a, I, I felt a lot of insecurity living in my mother's basement, being as old as I am, and, and wanting to contribute in some way, um, especially to just kind of keep her off my back and say, hey, I'm working on getting a degree here. By now, you can probably tell that there's not just financial pressure mounting here, but also psychological pressure. For Josh... It's the expectation that college is the way to get ahead. Definitely, if you dropped out of college, you are somehow seen as a failure uh, because this is the key to success. And then, and then at the, the same time, there's some people in my family that have graduated from college, are getting their master's, and have really good positions. 
And that's used as an example of the right way to do it. This is a no-brainer, right? Of course you go to college. You've probably even heard the statistic. Students who graduate with a bachelor's degree earn one million more than their counterparts who only finish high school. But that's not really the whole story. Here's Neil Swidey again. Low-income students with a bachelor's degree are making about two-thirds of what an affluent student with a bachelor's degree is making, and yet over their career, by the midpoint in their career, that shrinks down to half what the affluent students are making. So you see the, the, the engine uh, is going in the wrong direction uh, if it's supposed to be equalizing. What Neil and others are finding is that low-income students don't experience college the same way as their affluent peers. The networking, the job access, they just can't be college kids. No time for fraternities or sororities, no intramural lacrosse teams, and forget about the a cappella group. Kids from low-income backgrounds are just trying to hang on and hang in. I mean, it got really difficult. It got really difficult because it's only so many hours in a day. And if you do the math, you've got your 40 hours for your work week. And then what is it, 8 to 10 hours per class a week on your work? Four classes, five classes, that's another 40 to 50 hours. You know, when do you have time to breathe? That's 25-year-old Jasmine Johnson. Her college journey started seven years ago. Through that whole period, she's been working multiple jobs and her schedule is bonkers. Um, you get out of work at like 4.45, 4.50 if my manager would let me slide out, um, run down the street, catch the train, the red line to Quincy um, to catch a 6 o'clock class to 10 o'clock and then catch the train back to Dor- back to Ashmont to Dorchester um, to get up and do it all over again in the morning. So I maybe got like a regular six, five hours of sleep a night, if that, if I didn't have homework to do that night. So yeah, if I couldn't get it done at work. <laughs> Even as Jasmine has been balancing this chaotic schedule all this time, it's only now that she's getting the chance to focus on what she's really interested in. That's not something her affluent peers have to worry about. What's becoming quite clear to her is that if she'd had room to breathe, maybe all those loans she had to take out could have supported a passion instead of a requirement. Not only did it not end up being enough money, it ended up being money for the wrong thing. Um, I originally started school for nursing. Um, That's what my mom wanted me to do. That's, you know, kind of what my dad wanted me to do. Not at all what I wanted to do. Um, Definitely have always had the gift of gab (laughs) Um, and wanted to find a way to to do something positive with that and monetize that and and not necessarily play with blood and needles. Four colleges, seven years, and an estimated $65,000 in loans. If everything works out, Jasmine will graduate by the end of next year. Unfortunately, sometimes the test comes before the lesson. And I've learned after my hard test, you know, to to take what you can handle. And it's really not a race. You know, it's, it's easy to look around and see kids in your class going to Harvard or to Yale but you have to step back and you know remember you're not from that neighborhood you don't come from from families with money and you literally have to turn excuse my language sugar, uh, shit to sugar Jasmine has a colorful way of saying what so many other low-income college students are experiencing the cards are stacked against them that if they make it they're really beating the odds because generally speaking they don't find any of that sugar and yet Just for raising these questions, the same ones the students are raising themselves, some will say that we don't believe all kids deserve a shot at higher education. But that's not the case at all. 
And we should not at all diminish or discourage uh, students from aspiring to college. And four-year college can be, for most students, the best option. Uh, but it's not f the best option for every student, and we shouldn't be uh, making those students who take other options that are better for them made to feel inferior. It's hard to ignore the double-edged sword low-income college students face. Two steps forward if you graduate with a degree. One step back with burdensome, often inescapable student debt. Then, the idea of affordable, or as our earlier guest Josh put it, free education doesn't seem like such a bad policy. In these political times, though, there's a loud populace who looks at that solution as just another handout. That is not the reality. The students are dealt this kind of crazy landscape right now that they have for higher education and what the price to, to play is. Uh, and then they see the gaps once they get in there and are put in this squeeze and then they're coming out and then they're working without the earning power to pay back loans that gave them actually no benefit. That's where we are. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Have You Heard? If you want to share your thoughts or comments with us, you know where to find us. I'm on Twitter at EduShyster, and Aaron can be located at AaronMofoFrench. There, I said that with almost a straight face. If you're interested in finding out more about the topic we talked about today, I'm going to share some resources on my blog, EduShyster.com, including an interview that I did earlier with Globe writer Neil Swidey. Until next time, that's what we've heard.